if ever there was a time to pray, this is it. I think 2020 and 2021 have given us every opportunity, every reason to be pushing into God in prayer and crying out to Him to bring change into our lives and our city and our world. And my hope is at this time, even as we are disconnected relationally or, or from being in person as a church, that we are connecting more and more with our Father in heaven in prayer, getting to know Him more, building and deepening our relationship with Him, and just cultivating a fuller and richer prayer life. And what we're going to do over the next few weeks uh, on Sundays with our, our Sunday teachings and in life groups is we're going to be teaching about prayer and we're going to be discussing that together. And I want to invite you personally to put into practice the things that we're going to be talking about and begin to develop and deepen and strengthen your prayer life. And if for no other reason than just because you need it in 2021, after the year we've had with all that's going on, you need it. Now, as we get into this morning's message, uh, I just want to share a little personal story. My daughter, August, who seems to find her way into a lot of these messages at the moment, is almost 11 months old and she's learning and growing so much. Um, we really wish we could be sharing that with more of you guys um, in person. But the other day, we went to visit my parents and she stood for the first time on her own in front of all of us in the lounge. It was such a cool moment. I think she was performing for my folks because we were there and it, we were thrilled, you know. Now listen, I'm 34. I'm standing on my own right now. No one claps for me or cheers for me when I do this because it's expected. But when you're watching a baby learning and growing and developing and they start to do something for the first, second, third, fourth, fifth time and they're, they're growing up and maturing and learning new skills, you celebrate each one of these as massive developmental milestones. So as she stood there, we started clapping and cheering. We hugged her, we kissed her and she was so proud of herself. She loves any kind of applause or adoration hugely. And really for each one of us, we've been through so many different developmental milestones in our lives. Obviously, standing for most of us, learning to walk, learning to write, learning to read, learning to drive a car, learning to eat food, learning to cook food. All of those things have been huge um, progressive moments in our lives. But probably the most significant thing that we learn to do is to talk, to speak, to communicate to other people. And for most of us today, that's not even a thing for us anymore. It just comes naturally. We don't even think about how we communicate. We just do it because we're on autopilot. But it's actually been many, many steps of getting to this place. It's been a slow journey of progressing. But now for many years, this has just been what we do. We, we talk, we communicate, we speak. Um, and this has become natural. But we actually still have a lot to learn about communication. I'm sure some of you have had over the last few months moments where you've miscommunicated or someone's misunderstood you or maybe it's um, you've assumed something that someone else hasn't had in mind and it's caused friction in your relationship. For those that are in a relationship romantically or married to someone, I'm sure you know that you've had to develop over the years better and better communication style with your partner or spouse and maybe even to this day, I know for us after eight years of marriage, we're still learning to communicate better and better and better. Communication is a lifelong journey. Now, when we were babies, we could communicate from as soon as we were born. We, you know, if we needed something, we cried and your parents knew that you needed something. They were like, okay, we need to change them. We need to feed them. We need to put them to sleep. We need to get them something. They, they've got a need. So we were able to communicate through those cries and gurgles, but we couldn't hold a conversation. Now, my daughter, August, again, is learning some new words. She's learning some new gurgles and new sounds. She started to say, nyam, 
when she eats food, which is just the cutest thing. You know, it's yum with an N right in the front. And actually the baby apps all say she should be doing this as she eats now. She, she puts food in her mouth, she goes, yum. She wants more food, she says, yum. Now, as a parent, I'm just over the moon that she started to say this. I think it's the cutest thing in the world. But I'm also not disappointed in her that she's not saying, please, dad, I would like some food now. Or, Dad, thank you so much for putting that food in my mouth. Or, Mom and Dad, thank you. That was a delicious meal. Thank you for preparing it for me and feeding me and meeting my needs. I love and appreciate you so much. No, Niam means the world to us at the moment. See, parents aren't angry that their kids aren't communicating perfectly. They're thrilled to see their kids developing and growing and learning and maturing. I think one of the things that I've so loved about this period of lockdown is I've been working from home for most of the last year. And obviously that comes with its challenges. But one of the privileges of that has been when I've stepped out of the office and gone to the bathroom to make a cup of tea, to check in on shallow August or whatever it's been. Often I've just had a moment with her. And this happened this last week. I, I walked out of my office, I opened the door and there was August sitting in her high chair at the end of the hallway. And as she saw me, she started to gurgle and squeal and kick her legs and make noises. And I was drawn to her. I wanted to go and be with her. I wanted to hold her and kiss her uh, just because of those little gurgles she was making. And I'm saying that not because I want to keep talking about my daughter. I promise that's the last story about her today. But I say that because our Father in Heaven is the same way. If you feel like you are a beginner when it comes to prayer and all you can do is get out prayer gurgles, not prayer conversation, I want you to know that your Father in Heaven loves you and He's drawn to those prayer gurgles, you know. He wants to come and be with you and spend time with you. And even if you don't feel like your prayer is impressive or articulate or theologically um, robust enough, if you just feel like your prayers are simple, that's so good because they are real prayers, real gurgles to God, and He comes and meets you where you're at. Now, in both Matthew and Luke's Gospels in the New Testament and the Bible, Jesus gives his disciples a lesson on how to pray. In fact, this passage I'm going to read you now is where this, the title for our series comes from. Luke 11 verse 1. Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. What I love about this is the disciples have seen Jesus praying. They've heard him pray and they come to him for some tips on how to pray. It's almost well, not how to pray, how to pray. Sorry, my English is bad there. You see, these are men of prayer. They know how to pray. They've been praying. But when they hear Jesus pray, when they see him pray, they go, whoa, okay, we're prayer babies. We're just doing prayer Googling. What he's doing over there is he's praying prayer conversation. He's a master of prayer. And we want to learn to do what he is doing. I think the other thing that struck them is they saw that Jesus wasn't just doing prayer, that Jesus lived his life out of prayer. Prayer wasn't just a chore for him on the spiritual checklist. Okay, done my prayer, prayer for the day, I can move on. No, Jesus loved to pray and he needed to pray. And they saw that Jesus would get up early and go and be on his own and pray. They saw that when Jesus was tired and needed rest, he would go to the Father to be refreshed in prayer. When Jesus was under pressure and needed to make a decision, he would go to the Father and spend time with him in prayer. Actually, everything Jesus did flowed out of this life with God that he had because of prayer. And it's like they caught it. We want that thing too. So they come to Jesus 
and they say, Master, you know, take us through a masterclass in prayer. Show us to do what you do because we want to pray like you do. It's, it's like from watching him and hearing him, they've caught the importance of prayer and now they want to apply it to their lives too. And I think we should be so grateful that in Luke 11 and Matthew 6, we've got these lessons on how to pray from Jesus, the master prayer that we can learn from and we can apply to our lives. So today we're talking about this, the Lord's Prayer, the prayer of prayers. And you might not have thought about this before, but this is probably the most famous and familiar collection of words in the English language. Like what else in the history of language has been read by and memorized and repeated daily by so many people in the history of the world as this um, poem, this prayer that Jesus taught them 2000 years ago. And because we're so familiar with it, you know, you, you could be a Christian, you could have gone to a school where this was said often, maybe you're not a Christian, but actually you've heard this repeated so many times that to this day, whether it's the old version, the new version, you can repeat the Lord's Prayer. And because of that, we're in danger. Even though we can recite the Lord's Prayer, it doesn't mean we pray this way, that we've applied it to our lives. And just because we can recite the Lord's Prayer doesn't mean we know what it's saying and that we're aware of it. Actually, we're in danger of the fact that we become so familiar with this that almost we're numb to or blind to the beauty and truth and meaning that Jesus was trying to teach us through his words. So as we come to this today, I just want to encourage you to Look with fresh eyes, um, not believe that you know it all. Trust that God would speak to you about how to pray as we look at this passage together. And I really do believe, you know, Jesus has taught us this as a, a structure, a way of prayer. And I believe this has the potential and the power to change your life and how you pray. Matthew 6 verse 9 to 15. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil or the evil one. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Now after hearing this, if you were to rate your prayer maturity, where would you place yourself? You know, Peter Scazzaro talks about four stages of prayer maturity, and he starts with talking at God. This is where we kind of use the, the phrases and words that we've heard before to try to pray, but it doesn't come naturally. The second thing is not talking at him, but talking to God, where we find our own words and our own ways to pray, and we speak to God. The third thing is listening to God. This is uh, where we, you know, no longer just have a monologue, a one-sided prayer to God. This is where we wait and listen to Him and let Him speak to us by His Word and through His Spirit. And lastly is being with God. And this is kind of what we spent time on last year from John 15 about abiding in the vine. This is where prayer isn't just something we do, an event or an activity, but prayer becomes a lifestyle where we are finding our home in God and where we live from His presence, praying in and out throughout the day and being aware of and living with God. So where do you think you are in all of that today? And what do you desire? Do you not want more of prayer? Now, as we work this through today, I do want to say that the Lord's Prayer is not the only template on how to pray. In fact, the book of Psalms has been such an encouragement to me and I'm sure to many of you during this last year. And Psalms probably covers the full range of the human experience and human emotions. So we go through the Psalms, we find ourselves in the, the prayers, the laments, the cries of the heart of people 
the people of God throughout the ages. So I want to encourage you, go through the Psalms. There's prayers in the Old and New Testament. A few weeks ago, I shared one of Paul's pastoral prayers for the churches out of Colossians 1. There's Jesus' high priestly prayer from John 17. There's prayers everywhere, but in the Lord's Prayer, we find prayer training wheels. We find this prayer template or rubric or model or structure that we can use, which takes us into the most important pieces of prayer and gets us going. And there's a very important and intentional structure to the Lord's Prayer that's probably quite different from the way a lot of us pray. And maybe two things I can highlight about that before we get into the first part of it is that the Lord's Prayer doesn't begin with us and it doesn't begin with what we want. It begins this way. Our Father in heaven. Our Father in heaven. And that's so key. Jesus is teaching us to pray to God our Father. Not as so many many of us think to an angry king, you know, an old grumpy man on his throne who is displeased with us, who is easily angered and who isn't really interested in what we've got to say or ask for. The second thing, kind of on the other end of the spectrum, is when we pray we don't come to a happy genie, you know. Prayer is not like Aladdin and his lamp. You know, and as much as I love the Robin Williams uh, Disney version, animated version from back in the day, I dislike the new Guy Ritchie Aladdin film, which I think is the ninth best-selling film of all time. It's crazy. But if that picture of a happy genie from Aladdin is what pops into your mind, that's not what prayer is, you know. God doesn't just exist uh, for us to rub the prayer lamp. He pops out to grant our wishes and make us happy. No, no, no. Jesus says he's not an angry king. He's not a happy genie. He's our loving heavenly father. So when we come to God, we know that we're coming to a Father who wants a relationship with us. And the first thing really Jesus is showing us here is that God's door is always open. That God is inviting us to come to Him in prayer, to be with Him, to speak to Him, to make requests. God wants a relationship with you. Now, I guess as we speak about God as Father, this is actually a key part of our discipleship, particularly in our world today, which has got to do with our identity. And probably at the core of Christian identity is the fact that you are a beloved child of God, the Father. You know, that is the truest thing about you over everything else. That you are loved by the Father in heaven. That He's adopted you as His son or daughter. And the world around us wants to put so many labels around on us, you know, that identify us so that we can find identity in. But I want to say, Harbour City, you are not your job. You are not your success, you are not your failure, you are not your past, whether it was good or bad. You are not your relationship status, you are not your sexual orientation or your sexual desires. You are not your wealth, you are not your possessions, you are not your race, your gender, your class or your nationality. All of those shape you, but they don't define you. What we learn is that in Christ, first and foremost, we are defined by the fact that we have a loving Father in heaven who chooses us as His sons and daughters. You are loved by the Father. And I want to encourage you to fight for that. Fight to believe that. Fight to live in that. Before anything else, as we pray, Jesus invites us to be reminded of that truth. That you're a new person with a new identity, part of a new family, part of a new kingdom with a new king and new ways, new priorities. And that in Christ you are invited into a new life. That's what's going on here. And as we pray to our Father in heaven right at the start every day, We're reminded of that truth. You have the privilege of addressing the king of the universe as dad. I'm sure this happened to some of you, but when I was at school twice, it's so embarrassing, but twice, I put up my hand in class and the teacher 
looked at me and said, yes, Grant, what do you want? And I said, mom. And as soon as it came out of my mouth, I felt so embarrassed and everyone started laughing. And yes, I got teased about it at break, but I called the teacher mom. I don't know why, if it was because, you know, both of these teachers happened to be women who I was fond of, but I called them mom and I felt so embarrassed. But what Jesus is saying here is that we don't have to feel uncomfortable about coming to God as Father. We can call Him Father confidently because that is who we are. That is our new relationship with the King of the universe. He is our Father and we are His children. After we speak to our Father, we pray, Hallowed be your name. Now, I think this is something we're familiar with, but in 2021, I don't think the word hallowed is a word that too many of us are familiar with. And even me telling you that hallowed hallowed means to make holy doesn't necessarily help you to engage with what's going on here because you go, cool, make holy, got it, we should make God's name holy, let's pray that. But then if you think about it, you go, well, isn't God holy already? Isn't his name holy already? Why would I pray that? Well, hallowed means to honor to glorify, to worship God because He is holy. And you and I are carriers of the name of God. We're God's ambassadors or His representatives. And part of the idea here is that actually through our lives, God's name would be hallowed. You know, obviously we're praying out there where people don't know God, don't honor God, aren't interested in God, that they would meet and encounter Him and begin to hallow His name. Yes, that's part of the prayer. But part of it is actually a prayer for God's honor through us. We're praying for ourselves that in our lives and our deeds and our desires and our speech and everything we are and do, that we would represent God well as his representatives in such a way that people would praise the name of the Lord. See, one day God's name will be hallowed everywhere for all time in the way it deserves to be. But until that day, we pray and live in such a way that his name would be hallowed. Thirdly, and I love this, we pray your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, as familiar as those words are, there's a bit of an ache to this prayer and this cry. Just like God's name is not hallowed everywhere, so God is not seen as king everywhere and God is not obeyed. His will is not obeyed or honored everywhere. And as we look around us, we see that so clearly. We see the sin and evil and brokenness and injustice of our world. I actually found out recently one of the the new words which came into the dictionary last year was doom scrolling. It's when you go through your social media feed, when you scroll through the news and you just see the negative things going on around the world. Doom scrolling. There's an ache that comes from us as we doom scroll and as we live our lives and as we see what's inside of us, uh, ourselves, that things are not the way that they should be. And I mean, this is maybe being a bit vulnerable, but since I was young, I've had a desire to change the world. You know, I wanted to be used by God to do something that would impact people and places. And as I get a little bit older, I'm nearly 35, halfway between 30 and 40. As I get older, you know, there's almost this this natural thing in me. I'm not saying it's in you, but to become more sensible and to become more cynical and to not believe that God could use me in those ways. But as we pray this prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's almost a fresh encouragement that God is wanting to do work and to change our world. And that he invites us to pray these prayers, to to partner with him in the work he's wanting to do in our world. But what we see here is that the key way God is inviting us in, because obviously there's a lot that you and I can do to serve Durban, to, to... Uh, honor God to bring about change in our city 
But the way that we're invited in here is to pray, to actively come before God, because this is work. This isn't passivity. This is the active work of crying out to God to bring change. And until that day where Jesus returns and makes all things new and the sin and brokenness and injustice and evil of our world is dealt with, all the other kingdoms of our world are dealt with, all the other wills of our world are dealt with. Until that day, as we pray this, we're daily reminded of who the King of Kings is and of what his will is and of the work that he's wanting to do in our world. We're reminded of his reality that will one day be the reality everywhere, but now is not fully the reality. And we start the day with a fresh resolve to live and to pray that his kingdom would come first in our hearts and our lives and through us into the world around us. Give us this day our daily bread. Now, I know some of you have cut out carbs, cut out bread or eating gluten-free bread or whatever it is. Daily bread represents our daily needs. And as we pray this, we come to God saying, Lord, I have needs and I ask you to meet them. But I want you to see here that this is the fourth request, fourth in line in the order of the Lord's Prayer, not first, which is a really big thing. Prayer is not first and foremost about us, and it's not first and foremost about our needs or wants or the situation that we find ourselves in or the help that we need. Prayer is about putting ourselves in God's presence and being with Him and seeing Him and being shaped and transformed and impacted by Him and praising Him and desiring His will. And it's about bringing our will and our needs before him. I think preparing for today, the words this day and daily stood out to me because prayer should be a daily thing for each one of us. You see, I think at the moment with everything going on in the world, we can be thinking long term about the weeks and months and years that are ahead. And there is nothing wrong in the uncertainty and fear and anxiety of this present moment to be praying for the future. But here Jesus teaches us that each morning we can come before God uh, and pray for the day that is ahead. We lay our meetings, our schedules, our plans, our needs, the things that are on our mind and stressing us out, our families, our requirements, our plans, everything. We lay that before him and invite him into the stuff. And we ask him for his grace and his leadership and his help and his wisdom and every need that we've got. We ask him to come in and provide what we need. And each day, rather than relying on ourselves, we rely on Him, we surrender to Him, we submit to Him, and we show that we need Him for each day. Philippians 4 verse 6, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Harbour City, I think a lack of daily prayer isn't because of busyness ever. I, I know some of you are really busy, really under pressure and have a lot going on. There's a guy who wrote a book a while ago called Too Busy Not to Pray. And I think that's the truth. The busier we get, maybe not the more time we've got to pray or the more we need to pray in terms of length, but the more important our times of prayer become because we need God and we need to pray. If you are not praying daily, it's not because you're too busy. It's because actually you're too self-reliant. We're too proud. We're too dependent on ourselves and not dependent enough on God. See, when we don't pray daily, what we're saying is, Hey God, I got this one. Peace out. Don't worry about me. I've got today covered. I'll come back to you. I'll hit you up when I've got like some heavier weights for you to lift. Something for you to really carry and help me with. But until then, I'm all good. You see, that's not the picture that we see here. Living out the Lord's Prayer is about living a life with God, not just asking God to serve us when we need an extra hand. This is a daily thing, inviting God into our lives 
of course the big stuff of course the big needs but also into the everyday mundane ordinary stuff like grocery lists like shopping lists like bread and air and our everyday needs all of it one writer says there is no bad way to pray and there is no one starting point for prayer all the great spiritual masters offer only one non-negotiable rule you have to show up for prayer and you have to show up regularly next thing is forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors here in the prayer we've gotten to a place of praying for repentance and praying for forgiveness and this is a place where we bring specific sins and needs and failures and mess ups and struggles to god and ask him to forgive us of our sin but also to help us to empower us to change us that we might live a different way Another writer says, how often do we need to ask God for forgiveness? Well, how often do we need to take out the trash? And the idea here is that this is a daily practice. You don't leave your dustbin full for too many days. No, you take it out every day so that your house doesn't stink, so that your heart doesn't stink. And this has become very vivid to Shell and I recently. During the December holidays, uh, some of the people who live in our building left their keys with us. And they said, hey, will you just keep our keys in case anyone needs to get into our flat later on sometime? Maybe you can water the plants for us. And we said, sure, no problem. Then about two weeks later, they've been gone about six weeks now. About two weeks later, they text us stressed. And they said, guys, we just had this thought that we don't know if we took out our bin. So we went down. And we checked out their kitchen and we found their dustbin and it was full. The black bag was still in there. It was full of garbage and it stank. And worst of all, there were maggots all over everything and all over this bin. So we had to take out this bag that should have been taken out two weeks before, throw it away and then clean out this plastic dustbin covered in maggots. It was really, really gross. And that's kind of the picture of what's going on here. We repent of our sin. We ask for forgiveness daily because we don't want things to sit inside of our hearts and fester and grow and stink and start to change us to shape us to affect and influence us from the inside out no we've got to take that out we've got to bring it to God and give it over to him but here we also see that this isn't just where we deal with our own sin this is also a place where we forgive those who've sinned against us or hurt us or let us down And here, as we forgive others, we're not just applying the gospel to our lives, but we're actually applying the gospel to our relationships and to our daily situations. You see, what we see in this passage is that Jesus teaches that there's a connection between God's forgiveness of us and our forgiveness of others. Or to put it another way, it would be so crazy if we as Christians know the grace of God, that God will forgive us of our sins, that we can come to him with anything. We don't have to hide. We don't have to run away. That We can bring us into him and we know he will forgive us and that he wants to help us to change and become more like him. But if at the same time we bring our our sin freely to God to be forgiven and then we refuse to forgive someone else who sinned against us, that just doesn't make sense. The grace that we've received, we should be showing to others. And I bring that up to just say this morning, is there anyone you need to forgive? Is there anyone you right now need to forgive? You don't necessarily have to tell them you've done this, but you need to forgive them and pray that God would clean out that part of your heart that maybe has gone off a bit. And is there anything in your heart, anything like that trash bag covered in maggots, anything in your heart that you need to repent of and bring before God and ask for his forgiveness of and repent of and let him change you from the inside out? The last thing we see in this prayer is lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. 
And this is talking about spiritual warfare. For, so for some of you, I know this creeps you out. You know that we're talking about Satan and demons and the demonic. For others, you come alive, your ears prick up, you go, now we're talking about the real stuff, the good stuff. Now we're talking about eternity and the invisible realm and Satan, angels and demons and heaven and hell and all of those things. And you love this stuff. But here in Jesus' daily model of how we should pray, we see spiritual warfare. We, we see prayer against the influence of Satan, the evil one, in our lives and in our world. And here we see that Satan is a very real enemy. He's not just an idea. He's not a boogeyman. He, he's a very real enemy, a deceiver, a liar, a destroyer, who wants to extend the kingdom of darkness in our lives and in our world. And here we pray against that. We, we pray against him and his will and his ways and his kingdom. And we also pray against the influence of the world on our lives. And we pray against the power of the flesh shaping us to choose sin over choosing the ways of God. Here we're praying against evil inside of us, the sin in our own hearts, by saying, lead us not into temptation. And we're also praying against the evil outside of ourselves, as we say, deliver us from evil or from the evil one. And this is Jesus's call to daily prayer, that this should be involved in it. That daily we should be reminded of the spiritual battle we're in, of the invisible kingdom that is around us, of eternity, of heaven and hell, of good and evil, of light and darkness, and just the kingdom that we are a part of and the way we are called to live. And there should be this ache in us. Again, you know, there's an ache for God's name to be hallowed, an ache that his kingdom would come and his will would be done. There's also this ache over our daily struggle with sin and temptation, you know. I'm sure like me, you hate when you mess up, when you do something you know you don't want to do, you know something that doesn't honor and glorify God. And what we see in those moments is our daily need for grace and help from God. But what I love about this prayer is Jesus, as he teaches us to pray, to pray, shows us that he is well aware of our struggle with sin and temptation, and at the same time is saying we should pray for his grace and help in the midst of that struggle. And there's a relief in praying this prayer because Jesus on the cross has already conquered these enemies that we fight against. He's conquered Satan, the world and the flesh. He's victorious over all of these things. And he, by the power of the Holy Spirit, is able to give us what we need to live the way that we're called to live. And as we pray these prayers, the kingdom of darkness is pushed back. The kingdom of light advances. God's will, his way, his kingdom, his hallowedness extends and advances in and through our lives and in the world around us. That's what this prayer is about. And Harvest City, as we end talking about it, I want to encourage you to put this into practice. That even this week, this wouldn't just be something you go, thanks Grant, but actually we would read through this, meditate on it, pray it through, and begin to grow in prayer using the Lord's Prayer as an example. That we would go from being babies immature in prayer to gurgling and crying to becoming prayer masters like Jesus, engaging in prayer conversation with God. And this week I want to encourage you, do this personally. Maybe right now as this video ends, you're on your own, you can actually start to meditate on the Lord's Prayer and pray this through. Maybe pray the things that the Spirit of God highlighted to you. If you're with other people, maybe you can discuss that for a few minutes now. What stood out to you from the passage today? What was the Spirit saying to you? And spend some time just praying together. That could be short or long. 
I also want to encourage you, why don't you spend some time prayer walking? Now, I think a lot of us have got a bit of cabin fever, probably also a little bit lonely from not seeing too many people. I want to encourage you, whether you go and pray walk on your own or with someone else socially distanced, actually get out there and pray for your neighborhood, for our city. Pray the prayers of the Lord's Prayer. God's kingdom would come, His will would be done, His name would be hallowed, and actually His kingdom would advance, that darkness would be pushed back, and that the kingdom of light would come in our city and our world. Let's, let's grow in prayer this week, Harbour City.